Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Mandy. And this is Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. Hi there, and welcome back to Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. And I'm on my own today because Kate's got a migraine, which is a real shame because we're really, really super excited about our guest today. So it's episode 89, and today I've got with me Emily Lynn Paulson. And Emily Lynn Paulson is a certified professional recovery coach, as she recovers designated coach, uh, this Naked Mind Institute trainee, founder of Sober Mum Squad, which we'll talk a little bit about in um, a moment, and a member of the long-term recovery community. She is passionate about, my goodness, I can't get my words out, I'm too excited. She is passionate about connecting women with resources for recovery from trauma, eating disorders and substance abuse, and believes that sharing our truth with each other is the best resource of all. And I completely and utterly agree. And we're going to talk about Emily's book, which I absolutely loved and really resonated. Um, She has appeared on media outlets including the Doctors Parade, Today, Parents Bustle and USA Today discussing how to end the shame and stigma of mental health by and substance use abuse disorder. Sober since January 2nd 2017, congratulations. Her recovery path is focused on ruthless honesty, grace and self-love and is documented in her memoir highlight real finding honesty and recovery beyond the filtered life she resides in seattle which is somewhere that i'd like to visit with her husband and their five children so that is another another topic um, to talk about so we always start with the check-in so hi is it emily lynn or just emily do you prefer you can just call me emily okay so how are you doing emily I am hanging in there. Yeah, thanks for having me on. <laughs> so how are things in terms of COVID and in where you are in Seattle? Well, what are the rules I, and the regulations? Yeah, so we are pretty locked down here. I actually currently have COVID. Um, surprise, oh my surprise. Yes, um, I got tested last week. Um, luckily, none of my family has it. So I am kind of quarantining myself in the house, which is easier said than done with six other people, but making it work. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting for sure. Wow. And what were the sort of symptoms that made you realize that, right, okay, I should see someone? Yeah, well, you know what, I actually, if it were any other time, I wouldn't have even thought twice about it. But we had just traveled. So we visited Mm -hmm. to see family and thinking, okay, it's 4th of July, we've all been quarantined, we've all been really safe. And um, so we went so the kids could see their cousins. And then as soon as I got back, I started to feel just a little unwell, like a little sore throat, not terrible. And um, I thought, I'll just go get a test to rule it out. And it came back positive. So, of course, then it was like retracing the steps. And, you know, it, it, there's another one other person who has it who I think I got it from. And anyway, luckily, none of the family got it. Just me and this other gal. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's it's tricky because you got to rely on everybody else in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So no matter how safe you are, just takes one person, you know, not wearing the mask or coughing on their hand and touching a doorknob. And uh, so, yeah, I, I honestly, if it had been any other time, I wouldn't have gone in and I wouldn't have thought twice about it. Yeah. So I'm thankful that I don't feel bad. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've had a, a, you know, a few friends that have had it 
And again, it's that thing because I'm like, oh, I've got a bit of a sore throat. Um, But, you know, then it comes and goes. I mean, France is completely open now. So, you know, the beaches are full, um, everything, restaurants are open um, and, you know, cases are going up. So it's like, okay, (laughs) but they couldn't keep it. I mean, we were in full lockdown for two months. You know, we weren't weren't allowed more than a kilometre from our houses. So, you know, full lockdown for two months. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. But, um, well, I uh, hope you get well soon. Yeah, thank, you for, <laughs> thank you for coming and talking to me. Um, and I just have to say that we've been trying to organise this for a very long time. So yeah. I do apologise. Really no, I mean, it's been crazy. I think, I, I think it's been like this for everybody. It's like brain overload. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so we always sort of start by um sort of telling your story and it you know it's quite an amazing story really so um yeah can you tell us a little bit about what brought you to the decision to stop drinking and a little bit about your story please yeah so you know my ultimate decision to stop drinking wasn't anything super groundbreaking um i had had lots of rock bottom moments that should have made me stop um but it was just the most mundane day i had dinner and drinks with friends um, and I woke up not remembering like 48 hours of my life. It was like the worst blackout I'd ever had. And though like blackouts were pretty normal, they were becoming longer and scarier. And I blacked out like things I'd done with my kids. I blacked out work. It was so different than any other blackout before. Cause I wasn't just blacking out like the drunkenness. I was blacking out the good, all of the, the happiness too. And I was just done. It was finally it for me. Um, and so I reached out to a friend I knew who was in AA and, uh, and kind of just asked her, what do I do? Um, you know, alcohol had been something that had popped up throughout my life. And I was that person who always did the Google search. Am I an alcoholic? Um, but I always thought, okay, I don't come from a family of alcoholics. I, um, I've been able to stop before. I just didn't never stayed stopped, but I always thought, mm. oh, I stopped for a couple of months and I must be cured. Um, and so it was just finally time. Um, to be be totally done with it and then of course I kind of thought that'd be it okay I quit and that's really where the starting line is right as we know (laughs) once you get over that's really where you start (laughs) yeah and I mean so tell us a little bit about the 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 beginnings because I mean you were kind of a real high achieving kid right so you sort of you know yeah where did where did alcohol kind of start featuring in your in your life yeah I was about 14 And up to that point, I had kind of dealt with discomfort or low self-esteem through, uh, you know, little white lies and fibbing. And, and once I found alcohol, it was like this perfect band-aid to be who I was, or rather like make me who I thought I was supposed to be. I, I finally felt comfortable with the person I was. And so it was like a solution to a problem that I had. And I was able to numb things out. But then of course, the alcohol then became the problem because then I would forget things. I would do things I didn't remember. I would make horrible decisions. Um, so it led kind of to being its own problem, but that's really where it came into play. I remember the first drink I took, it was like, wow, this is why people do this. Like I realized, Mm -hmm. Oh, this is, this is how you're supposed to feel. This is who I'm supposed to be. I really thought that it unlocked who I was. Yeah. And I really resonated with that when I read the book, that kind of, you know, finding strategies to 
distance yourself from the person that you are because you feel for whatever reason that that person isn't good enough you know and that outsourcing and you know I used to lie a lot when I was a kid and I'd never really kind of I'd never until I read it in your book I'd never really put that part into my story and I was like oh okay I get that I get that that was just you know some to be something greater than than what I was was a better solution than just sort of telling the truth um and then, yeah, same age, kind of outsourcing to alcohol and that kind of social anxiety of just like, oh, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, okay, and so, I mean, how did you get from there to to finally sort of um, quitting? Yeah, so I, I luckily, I had tried to quit on my own several times. Um, and so I knew that didn't work. Uh, I knew that I wasn't, and I knew it wasn't some sort of willpower because I could stop. I could stop for a period of time, but it, the desire never went away. I always wanted it. It always just completely consumed my thoughts. And so when I reached out to the friend, I had the one friend I knew in AA, of course, now that I'm sober, I know lots more sober people. And, you know, I, I just never looked for sober people when I was drinking because why would I? Um, but she was someone who's very out spoken about being in recovery and that she went into AA and I always had her phone number just kind of Mm -hmm. waiting. Like I knew at some point I would have to do something. I didn't know what. And so when I reached out to her, I'm like, here's where I'm at. What do I do? And I asked her questions and so many things that I asked her, she reflected back to me like, oh yeah, I did that too. I did this. I made all the rules. I did this thing. And um, she said, just come to a meeting with me. And the, the best thing that she could have said to me was like, by the way, you can just go and you don't ever have to go again. And by the way, if you go, this doesn't mean you're saying you're an alcoholic. It doesn't mean you're saying you're quitting. We're just going to a meeting. Like, just come. And even though I kind of resigned myself at that point, like, okay, I, I do need to quit. That almost like the, not the letting me off the hook, but that, that like freedom that you can come with me, you can still be a part of this and be imperfect or not be sure. Um, that's really how I was able to kind of open that hundred pound door <laughs> to AA the first meeting that's really interesting yeah and so um obviously you're um, a mom of five kids mm-hmm. um we talk a lot about kind of motherhood on the podcast and talk about really I guess that's our kind of when we set up the podcast we we're like we need to have honest conversations about how hard it is and how alone we feel and how um stressful it can be and how much support we need really and you know that that's what's happening behind closed doors and no one's talking about it is that you know mums are finding refuge in in alcohol um, and it looks very normal and it's very accepted um, and there's a, a real kind of dark undertone to that so yeah I mean how how does that sort of fit in with your story in terms of yeah, the stresses of motherhood. I mean, it's quite yeah. obvious with five kids. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my my kids were definitely an excuse to drink, and mm. and I think what what I can see then look so clearly at now, looking back, is I really didn't look for any other solutions. And a, a glass of wine is pretty easy. It's a pretty easy solution if you see that as a solution. Like if I was feeling stressed out around dinner dinner time it's easy to pour that glass of wine and it's really easy to refill it. And after the kids go to bed, it's easy to drink more and more and more and not realize that it's becoming too much or that it's taking away anything. Um, I really didn't realize until I stopped drinking how 
how much it was affecting what kind of a parent I was. I was really disconnected. Um, and I, and I, you know, I've said many times during this pandemic, like if I was still drinking now, I probably, probably would have drunk myself to death at, at this point, because if that's what you're using as your stress reliever, um, and your kids are around the whole time. I mean, it's just, I, I feel for people right now so much. Like I feel that, it, you know, with all the quarantine and the wine memes and, oh, it's so funny, but it, but I do, I feel why it's so hard right now. I can see why people are drinking so much more. Like I understand why it's really hard. Yeah. We would, we, we were saying the same thing, like, thank goodness I'm sober through this because because again, it's that kind of time where there's no structure and no rules. And those were really challenging times for me, you know, like holidays or Christmas or anything like that, you know, because I could manage with the responsibilities of work and, you know, and kind of play the moderation game to sort of try and have at least one or two nights off a week or whatever. But Mm -hmm. as soon as there was any sort of, you know, no structure, that would just all go out the window. So yeah, I feel the same. And I'm, I'm really worried for people. Um, and how, I mean, how is that? Was that the mummy wine culture? Was that something that you kind of I don't know, embrace? Not the right word, but I suppose, is that something that, that, that was a nice excuse? You know, was it something your friends were doing around you and it felt normal? Oh, absolutely. It, it gave me, I, I feel like I found any excuse along the way right? When you're a teenager, it's the rebellious teenager thing to do. When you're in college, it's just binge drinking is the thing you do in college. And when you're a young adult, I mean, I, I, I found a way to make my drinking fit in through every stage. And so when, you know, when you, you're faced with all these kids and you go out for happy hour and there's these fun t-shirts telling you that, you know, I whine because, my, you know, my kids whine or whatever, it's really easy to find an excuse and you can find an excuse to drink anywhere. You can walk down the aisle of the drugstore and see the, the pink cans that look like soda cans, but it's really wine, but it looks like soda. So it's really benign, right? It's no big deal. Um, I, I would justify my drinking based on anyone else's behavior. So, mm. so yeah, it, it sucked me in and, and I, it's hard to see a problem when everyone else's drinking looks similar. And how have your relationships changed since you stopped? You, I mean, have you had to move out of that friendship group or, or not? Has it been accepted? Um, yes and no. In some ways I have. Um, you know, I had a core group of friends who are still, you know, who were normal drinkers and and I was not. And I think that's where if I was meeting someone out for a drink, I would have a drink before and I would drink when I got home. And so there are the people who could leave a half a glass of wine on the table. And I never understood that. I was like obsessed with how much I, you know, when is my next drink going to come? And, um, you know, I, I started also seeking people then who drank more than I did because then it made, not that I didn't feel so bad about myself because I, I still did. I still knew what inherently I was drinking too much, but it just made it easier to hide again, just always finding those places to hide. And so I would say for the people who I sought out only as a drinking partner, um, those friendships obviously dissolved when I stopped drinking, but the people who the friendship was the friendship, they, they really remain mostly the same. You know, we don't exchange wine memes. You know, I don't, <laughs> I don't go wine tasting with them, but it's, it's been mostly the same because the friendship at the core 
wasn't around alcohol. Yeah, that's really interesting. I totally, re- I mean, I used to do the same. It'd be that kind of like, you know, keeping it polite, um, you know, sort of making sure I eat loads, um, you know, watching what everyone else is drinking, matching their drinking, you know, wondering why they weren't drinking more or quicker. And then, you know, having a glass of wine when I get, I got home to that sort of, oh, right now I can actually relax, you know. Um and so what's been your biggest area of personal growth you've noticed since you've stopped drinking? Oh, gosh. Um, I, I think the, the hardest part for me has been, I think the hardest part for me in the beginning was the honesty piece. Um, and that's hard to admit because honesty is really, like, really highly regarded morally, Right. So when I drank, I, I completely lost any sense of a moral compass. And, and so aligning myself with who I really am, what I really want, that's been the hugest part of personal growth because I really didn't know who I was until I got sober. I didn't know what I liked, even like, what do I like to eat? Who do I like to hang out with? What hobbies do I have? I always built myself around other people. So I think being who I am, knowing who I am and showing up authentically as myself has been has been really the biggest personal growth oh yeah that's amazing and I yeah I'm like just all the time yeah yeah it's it's, it's exactly the same um but I do and I think that's the kind of that's the beauty in it and when you you know as you say when you and that's exactly why we started this podcast because it's like the the gold and the incredible power of hearing other women's stories is is just the key it just I can remember when I first started going on forums and kind of reading other people's stories and and hearing what had happened to them and their lifestyle and and what they did and their friends and but then they were drinking like me it just changed everything you know and having those sort of safe spaces to share your honesty I mean you know we've sat in she recovers meetings together you know and, and that space of just being able to receive and share amongst other women is just so incredibly powerful mm-hmm. so how do you keep yourself well and um you know what's your sort of self-care practices and your emotional and physical well-being what what's in your toolkit well luckily a lot of the things that I kind of recharge with before the pandemic are still things that I recharge with um I, I've always been a person who kind of recharges in solitude and or or like small groups so you know I take a hot bath that's like my I could stay in the bathtub literally all day like I love it um you know movies and popcorn exercise journaling so a lot of things that I can do by myself and you know I do like um you know having lunch with a friend or so there's been some things I've had to kind of change a little bit but for the most part self-care has really been about kind of turning internally and um you know recharging myself yeah. Yeah. And so, so sort of talk about your book now. So what led you to write the book? And also, you know, the title is very interesting. And I, and, and I found that a really kind of a brilliant sort of take on, on, on this disconnect between, you know, the outside and, and what's going on at home. So, yeah. So how did that come about to write the book? Yeah. So, you know, books were really important to me in, in early sobriety. I 
I read every quitlet, you know, I listened to every podcast, I did all the things, but I really never found my story. And, and then writing became a really huge part of my recovery. And as I was going to therapy, um, you know, and doing all that work and, you know, working steps and doing all the recovery work I was doing, I started unraveling my history, like the, the, how the hell did I get here? Peace. Um, where did that come from? And so by the time I got around to two years of sobriety, I had pages and pages and pages, and I knew I, I wanted it out there because it was, it was so cathartic getting it out of my head for one thing, but I knew also just like me sitting there coming through all of those books. Like I knew there had to be another mom out there in my shoes. And, and so I wanted to be out there just to, to help one person. I knew if there were other women struggling, I knew there had to be other women hiding like I was. Um, you know, I was by all accounts, I was the, how does she do it all? Mom, like that's who I was. I had five kids. I had this wonderful husband and this successful business. And I showed all of the pretty photos and everything on the surface. Um, but beneath it all, you know, I was struggling. And, and in so many ways, it was just hiding in plain sight. So the reason my book has Instagram photos on it is, is for that reason, because I look like I'm happy. I look like I'm having fun. But I also had wine in my hand in, in every single picture. And it had kind of knitted its way into my life. And the title, so Highlight Reel, came from a talk I'd given. And it was about authenticity and comparison, things like that. And it was the company I was previously working for. And so here I was in front of like 5,000 people. And I was putting up photos. Um, and, it, you know, I had shared my sobriety journey before. But I was putting up these huge photos on this big screen. And like, here's the day I earned this bonus. I earned this car. And then I would explain, okay, here's what you don't see. I got arrested that night for drunk driving in that car and it got towed away. Um, here's a photo of me on stage getting an award and, and I'm all dressed up, but here's what you don't see, you know, that I was drunk. I don't even remember that moment. I was blacked out. And that night, you know, the doorman had to carry me to my room. So I was showing not just the highlight reel, R-E-E-L, what, what we, we put on social media, which everybody puts out their, their highlights but what was on the cutting room floor. So that idea of picking up those pieces, the, the real and highlighting that instead is really kind of where the title came from. Yeah, it's brilliant. And I mean, a lot of the, the book is about kind of, it's about trauma, you know, it's about kind of the traumatic experiences that you went through, um, which is again, you know, it was a huge, it, I mean, it's a huge part of my story and it's, and, and it's a huge part of a lot of women's, stories you know um and I think what I mean not only is the book brilliant because it's so easy to read like it's a real page turner you know you kind of really engage with the narrative but there is this sense of kind of of allowing you to understand you know where these things come from and that kind of you know nothing is it's never if that trauma is not healed you're never kind of going to get out of those cycles because you're always going to be searching for another way to, yeah, I mean, cope, I suppose. It's all coping mechanisms. Um, and so I, I guess that came from therapy, that kind of understanding. Is that how you? Yeah, yeah. I really, I kind of went from from each thing, I went to the next, right? Like as I, 
once I got sober, I'm like, oh, well, that's why I drank because I'm anxious. So let me go deal with that anxiety. So I talked to a therapist about the anxiety. And then why do I have anxiety? Oh, because of dot, dot, so dot. And then realized I had some trauma I need to work through. So I did EMDR and real. So everything kind of went to the next thing. And I really, really wanted to learn about how I got there. So through every step, I, you know, I, I wanted to just be educated on, on who I was and how I got to that place. So I, I started taking courses and, and that's how I became a recovery coach because initially I just wanted to learn to help myself. And, and as I started writing, just, just kind of to have some education behind it. And so I, I kind of consider myself an accidental recovery coach because once I became certified, I realized I really liked working with other women. And, and so that's mm. kind of how that came about. But, but yeah, I feel like everything has led to the next thing. And, um, you know, through my recovery, that's really how I've unlocked just learning about myself and um, about how to heal. Yeah. And, and I think that's the kind of, you know, it's something that's been really kind of part of what we've learned, you know, is that it's kind of the unpicking you know and it's like drinking was a symptom you know mm-hmm. so it's like you know what what was behind what was behind that and so tell me a little bit about your work so you know you say you're a coach so you work with just women uh yeah you know i i don't necessarily put out there like i won't work with men but i feel like what you what you you kind of attract what what you're best suited for and and I know what it's like to be um you know a woman in recovery a mom in recovery and so that tends to be who finds me not that I couldn't work with a a dude or or whatever but that's that's kind of my my focus really yeah I mean uh, well I I blatantly say I don't (laughs) (laughs) I just yeah I mean it is I think it is it's just that there's that kind of mirror no, I mean, that's not true. I suppose if a man did say, you know, could we work together? I, uh, Yeah, it would have probably a gay man. <laughs> <laughs> it had to be a specific scenario, right? Like, that's how I yeah. feel like if, I, I just don't know who would think that I, you know, could relate to them if they're not also a mom with kids. So yeah. it just hasn't come up, I guess. So, yeah, yeah. I work with all moms with kids. Uh, just because that's who they think I can resonate with them and and vice versa and um and so what plans and projects have you got coming up so you know tell us a little bit about the the Facebook group yeah so when um you know this quarantine COVID business started happening um I kind of put out there like what can I do what like what, what you know there's no one's going to people who rely on meetings like there's no meetings. Um, you know, what can we do? And, and so I had people say, Oh yeah, I want, we want online meetings. We want online meetings for moms. There wasn't really a place, you know, there's women's meetings, there's sobriety meetings, but like somewhere where we can go, this is unlike anything we've ever been through. We're having to work homeschool and do everything else and also stay sober. Like this is a very unique situation. And where can we go? And complain about our kids without seeming ungrateful or ask for advice. Um, And so me and and a few other gals um, on Instagram, you know, they came forward like, we want to help too. We want to help too. And so we just threw together this 
called the Sober Mom Squad. So we have a free meeting every week and um, a Facebook group. And, um, you know, it's been super popular. And, and so, you know, we're working on a platform to kind of expand it a little bit, just basically like a forum for moms who are trying to deal with this new normal. I hate to even use the word normal, but mm. deal with having to put all of these things together and also not drink through it, you know, just for support and camaraderie. Um, so, yeah, that's that's how that came about. And, uh, okay, so if people want to join, they just can click on it, right? And you can and let them. Yeah. I think there's a few questions, isn't there? And then yeah, and there's yeah, there's a link on my website to get directed there. So yeah, okay, so I'll put that all in in the notes. And um, yeah, so what other plans and projects do you have coming up? Is there going to be another book or? You know, I, I my wheels are turning a little bit on that, so we'll <laughs> see about that. And you know, I'm I'm finding it the writing landscape has changed a lot since this Mm. pandemic because a lot of media is really centering around, um, you know, COVID related things. And so my writing has kind of turned into, um, you know, again, mom's drinking during COVID, how the drinking rate has increased. And so I've been doing some writing around that. I'm contributing to an anthology right now. Um, And then I do have a TED talk that was supposed to be in April that is in October tentatively, but will likely get delayed a little bit more, um, or it could go online. So that's still, it's still Mm -hmm. coming, just not sure when. So I'm just kind of staying open to the next thing and and having to pivot, um, you know, and and obviously being a person, you know, like working with um, women one-on-one, you know, and trying to do it now around family home, um, you know, having to kind of changed up a little bit and so I'm trying to stay open and flexible to what comes next are we allowed to know what the the subject of the TED talk would be or is it oh well it will obviously be drinking related so (laughs) yeah parenting and drinking related so yeah and um and so if you I mean you've talked about kind of the impact that going to AA had for you if you had to kind of a couple of top tips for people about, you know, what, what do you think are the kind of key things? And when you work with clients, what are the key things that you think really help people? I think the acknowledgement that there's nothing inherently wrong with you. And I think that's something that people battle with so much. You know, am I an alcoholic? Am I non-alcoholic? Why can't I control it? And everyone else can. Why don't I have willpower? Like, why, 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 me, me, me? And, and just to know that, like, there's nothing wrong with you for getting addicted to an addictive substance. And, you know, alcohol is the only drug you have to, um, you know, question that people question why you don't use it. It's, it's the only one you have to justify not using. If you, if you quit smoking, you get a pat on the back. No one would say, are you going back to heroin or any, you know, alcohol is the yeah. one where it's so socially acceptable that we are just, we believe to be true that we there's something wrong with us if we question it if we don't want to do it anymore or if we can't for some reason so that's the one thing I always tell people is like believe like there is nothing wrong with you it's it's the substance it's not you yeah I love that yeah um I yeah I have a real issue when when it gets turned on the on the person it's like no this is not the focus is on, on the wrong place 
And I suppose because, you know, part of your story is this kind of battle with self-love and self-compassion um, and kind of forgiveness, and you know, of, of the things that... So how did you approach that to sort of, yeah, this journey of self-love? Uh, you know, I, I guess for me at first it was I had tried everything else, right? I had... <laughs> I tried the self-flagellation and and the um, the lying and covering up and hiding, and I I almost got to the point where I had gone I I had gone through all of my other options and being honest and asking for help was the only way, and, and so that's where you know I'm really um, I, I'm an advocate of like journaling and and um and uh, uh, gratitude right so. Even if you can start out the day, even on the worst, 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 worst day, you can still start out and be grateful for anything. Even if it's just, oh, the sun is shining or, oh, you know, my dishwasher is working. Like there is something. And if I can kind of rewire myself to, to start that way, I see myself in a more positive light too, mm. where it's not everything I, you know. I guess when you, when you grow up for so long and you have such um, a negative sense of self turning that around, it's not, it's not just something that turns around easily. It's very slow. And so planting those little seeds along the way, like this is good. You know, I, I can do this. Um, Mm -hmm. And it just takes time. It really does. It's, It's not an overnight thing and it's a practice. Like you have to, you have to do it all the time. And, and I notice, like, Oh, why am I feeling, you know, irritable or mad? When's the last time I wrote my gratitude journal? There's usually a, oh, that's why. Um, and, and so I have to remind myself all the time to kind of stay on that path. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, science proves it, right? I mean, the science of happiness proves that, you know, gratitude is, is something that can, can make us happier. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can ha- have some control over that, that, that part of ourselves. And I think it's such a sort of key part for women you know the self-esteem um self-compassion element and certainly we see that you know it's like we're so hard on ourselves and we've kind of internalized all these messages about ourselves and you know the experiences that we've had you know kind of prove this sort of messaging and I think you're right I think it is it's a daily practice it's kind of it's it's going to take time and I think we live in such a sort of, you know, quick fix, and you know, and you write about that in terms of dealing with trauma. You know, it's like whatever you go to for a, a quick fix is never going to be sustainable. Um, and and I think having people around us that we can kind of work with, you know, having that network and say, "Gosh, this is really hard." Like, and it's like keep going. That kind of motivation and kind of. Um, I found that kind of invaluable to go, is this okay? That like, you know, mm-hmm. I still feel, I'm still being, yeah, you know, it's okay. And, oh yes, I should be doing this more. It's like, stop saying should, just let mm-hmm. it, you know, let it go. It will, it will all kind of, yeah, watch it roll out, watch it roll in, you know, we'll get there kind of thing. Yeah. Um. Okay. And so we always, I'm going to, finish up now because I don't want to keep you too long because you're not well (laughs) Um, so um, we always finish with a tip of the day and a reason to love sober so what's your like you know what's the one thing where you just like that gratitude I suppose that is for your sobriety yeah 
Yeah. And I guess the fact that, you know, if there's something you're struggling with, like, you know, oh, I, I feel lazy, you know, where you, if you go to that place, like what's bothering me about myself today? Oh, I feel lazy. If you, you know, instead of just going to the opposite thing, like, oh no, I'm super motivated. Well, no, that's not true. Like you, you have to say something that's true. So just make something, <laughs> this, sound, this doesn't even sound very like motivating, but make something a little less bad until you can go to that, that place where it's hundred percent positive. So if you can even say, okay, I, I am feeling a little lazy, but I'm going to do this today. Or I'm, I'm feeling a little unmotivated, but look at what I did yesterday. Like those baby steps. So my, I guess that's my tip is like, take those baby steps, steps toward those positive affirmations. It's not enough to just put post-it notes all over your wall. Like I'm beautiful. I'm smart. I'm blah, blah, blah. If you don't truly believe it, it, nothing's going to happen. Like you have to make baby steps. Like, wow, maybe I don't believe I'm beautiful, but I really think I have beautiful eyes or I, maybe I don't believe that, you know, I don't love my thighs, but I think I have really, you know, strong muscles. So, so just go to a place that you can believe. And eventually you, you do, you can change your brain to go to that more positive place. So baby steps. <laughs> mm, love it. Yeah. And actually I'm working with my son who's got some sort of self-esteem issues and the advice, you know, it was really funny because the advice was very similar that something that we would say to someone, you know, it's like, well, you know, let's work for 21 days. We'll, we'll talk and we'll repeat the same kind of ideas of positive, you know, like, so what did you do well today? You know, what did you enjoy? What made you laugh? You know, sort of all those kind of key questions. And, you know, that kind of rep- repetition over 21 days will slowly kind of help you to just start looking in a different direction, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, and so what's your reason to love sober? Um, I think, especially in like these crazy times, it's just giving my kids the best shot of having a mom who's here and present and healthy. And even on the days where they are driving me up the wall and I want to like crawl my way out of this house, <laughs> um, it's still infinitely better than than the mom I'd be showing up as if I was drinking. And so what ages are your kids? What's the My oldest youngest or the youngest? Yeah, the youngest is eight, uh, who's a boy. And then the girls are 11, 12, and 13. And another boy who's 15 and a half. Oh. <gasps> wow. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's hugely impressive. Um but it must be amazing. I mean, on the good days when you're all together, it must be such a brilliant kind of feeling to sort of have, yeah, just have a real kind of crew, a real oh, tribe yeah. together. Yeah. <laughs> and especially right now, like they, they help each other and they, I mean, yeah, they fight and do all those things siblings do. But, you know, when I see their camaraderie and when they do get along, it just, you know, it makes it all worth it. Okay, well, thank you so much. And, you know, um, do look after yourself in this time with COVID. I hope, yeah, let us all know when you're better and you're feeling kind of um, on the other side of it. I mean, it's just crazy, isn't it? um, And, yeah, thanks so much. And so um, Emily Lynn's book is available on all bookstores, I imagine, online and um, 
it is really great read it's hugely kind of um draws you in the narrative's brilliant and it's I mean there's a lot of joy at the end you know so it's got that whole kind of um it's very aspirational and inspirational so thank you for writing it because it helped me I mean I you know I I started doing EMDR last year and obviously I've kind of stopped for the moment but it definitely helped me to kind of go okay let's let's not just leave this you know because you get used to coping you know mm-hmm. um but that kind of actually being at peace and actually feeling really safe and actually sleeping that would be nice <laughs> um yeah so it really kind of gave me that kind of um yeah motivation to to take that next step I suppose so thank you Personally. Yeah. Good, thank yeah. you. Um, and yeah, so um, what's your website so people can find you? Yeah, so it's highlightreallife.com and it's R-E-A-L. Okay. And um, obviously, uh, as Emily said, she's a coach. So, you know, if you're interested in um, looking at your drinking or any other areas of personal development and um, her story resonated, then um, all the details will be uh, on the post uh, podcast links. Um, okay, and so if you're immediately concerned about your drinking, then please do reach out. Um, you know, reach out to Kate and I at info at lovesober.com. Uh, reach out to groups online. Check out the Sober Mum Squad. Um, you're not alone. And um, if we can help in any way, then please do get in touch and we'll see you next week for more chat. Thank you so much, Emily. Thanks, that was great.